you would want us to exercise our authority in a way that made sense, that was practical, that was workable. And that's not what we're doing here. Instead, what we're doing and what we say quite clearly in that recent release is, yeah, we realize that this is going to not be workable for a lot of projects. We, we, we recognize that, we accept that as a consequence, and we're fine with that. And that, to me, is remarkable because it's not using regulation actually to protect people. It's using regulation to drive an industry either out of the country or into extinction. This is the Harvard Business Law Review, a show where we interview leaders and pioneers at the intersection of business and law. I'm Jonathan Frieden, and that voice that you heard at the beginning was Hester Peirce, Commissioner of the SEC. Prior to joining the SEC, Commissioner Peirce conducted research on the regulation of financial markets at George Mason. She was a senior counsel in the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, where she advised ranking member Richard Shelby and other members of the committee on securities issues. Commissioner Peirce served as counsel to SEC Commissioner Paul Atkins, and she also worked as a staff attorney in the SEC's Division of Investment Management. Commissioner Peirce was an associate at Wilmer Hale and clerked for Judge Roger Andewell on the Court of Federal Claims. She got her degree in economics from Case Western and her JD from Yale Law School. Commissioner Peirce is also often known as Crypto Mom for her non-hostile position on crypto, as well as for her criticism of the SEC for over-regulating digital assets and regulating through enforcement actions, as opposed to just creating clear guidelines. Before starting, one quick important note. This podcast was recorded at the end of April of 2023. Since then, the SEC has continued uh, its enforcement actions against cryptocurrency. The SEC has sued Binance as well as Coinbase, one of the largest crypto exchanges for allegedly operating as an unregistered national securities exchange and broker. Notably, this was Coinbase's model when it successfully went public. To perhaps shed some light on this complex and hotly debated issue of regulating crypto exchanges, here is my interview with Commissioner Hester Peirce. Okay, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to join us and to share your thoughts on the current state of the SEC. Well, Jonathan, it's great to be part of your podcast, and I'm going to start by giving you my standard disclaimer, which is that my views are my own views, not necessarily those of the SEC or my fellow commissioners. Of, of course. So uh, a lot's obviously going on at the SEC right now and of late, but bef maybe before jumping in, I think that one of the things that's maybe like really important to discuss off the bat is kind of the background to all of this, which to me, it has to do with balance of powers. Um, and so, of course, regulation can be quite important. I mean, to a degree, we've seen what happened uh, with FTX, and that's brought up a lot for a lot of people. But of course, you know, it's used to prevent fraud and insider-based information asymmetry. 
But also on the other hand, there's the government overreach question. Um, and I'm kind of interested in how we determine that balance between protection, but also having an open market. And especially I know that in one of your recent dissents, you've spoken about Congress getting involved and maybe taking some of that off of your plate. And I guess I'm curious how you suggest we find that balance. It is a difficult balance to find. I think as a regulator, the first thing I have to do is look at my statute and see, see what my statute allows me to do and what my statute tells me to do. And so I think for us, we have three objectives, which are investor protection, facilitating capital formation, and fostering fair, orderly, and efficient markets. And those three objectives all work together. They're not 100% distinct. Um, they all they all should be working in the same direction. Um, but you know, as as someone who who thinks that regulation doesn't always solve problems well, and sometimes can cause adverse consequences that were not intended, I think that we need to not assume that regulation is the right approach to every problem. So when I look at a problem that we've identified within our markets, within our statutory area of responsibility. I say, okay, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Is that a problem that the markets will solve themselves? Or is that a problem that we really need regulators to come in and solve? And if so, then let's look at the at the slate of options that we have, regulatory solutions that we have. And let's look at the costs and benefits associated with each of those. And then let's select the one that has the lowest costs and the highest benefits but I think part of what goes into that, too, is that we should be thinking about the effect that a regulation has on the ability of two people to engage in a transaction that they wanted to engage in and would have engaged in, but for the government coming in and saying, no, you can't. So I think there is a loss of liberty component that we need to take into account when we're thinking about regulation that obviously doesn't always win at the end of the day. Sometimes we say, you know what, we understand people's options are going to be limited, but we still want to come in and constrain those because we have these other objectives we're trying to achieve. But ultimately, whether that's, it's Congress that has to come in and make the call, that's when our statutory jurisdiction is at an end, then Congress needs to come in and they need to say, okay, we want you to do this or we want someone else to do this. Um, so that's kind of how I think about things. For sure. And I could totally imagine also that, you know, in a position of power and at the SEC, there's there could be a natural desire to try to, to you know, take as much power as one can have. And I think that there's a lot to say that sometimes, you know, this is Congress's say, and maybe we should take that step back. Um, I know that you mentioned uh, in your answer the potential loss of liberty. And for me, that brought up uh, in your recent dissent regarding the SEC's definition of what constitutes an exchange um, when it was coming to regulating um, DeFi. Uh, you mentioned the freedom, the, the First Amendment having to do with the freedom of speech and how that could be a potential issue. And that was something that was really interesting to me because I hadn't thought of the freedom of speech problem. And I was wondering if you could kind of expound on that. Yeah. And I think it remains to be seen because a lot of that, that regulation is fairly ambiguous. And so what I'm concerned about is what we propose to do is, is redefine exchange. So it would pull in more 
people and more entities. And one of the suggestions in the in the document is that a DeFi exchange, which is it's not a it's not an actual centralized entity the way a, a regular exchange like the New York Stock Exchange is. It's a group of people who are uh, working together to put something out there, but really it can be just a developer who writes, a programmer who writes code, puts it up on the internet and someone else uses it to exchange tokens. So it's really not a group that's working together. It's just someone writes code and someone else decides to use it. And so because of the way we we talk about developers in the release, we talk about group very broadly, very ambiguously. And then we talk about whether a developer could be pulled into that group and therefore required to um, register or whether someone who publishes the code that that developer wrote would be pulled into register. So what I did is I said, okay, let's, someone had written a comment letter in that put code into the comment letter. So if I publish that code, which I did on a t-shirt, I saw the t the tweet recently. Yeah. yeah. So I put that up on the on on Twitter, and does that then mean that once the rule goes into effect, I have to register that T-shirt as an exchange, or do I have to register as an exchange before I wear the T-shirt? And so, you know, maybe that's a far-fetched um, example, but I think the point is that it's really difficult from the language of the release to identify when someone would be pulled in by merely writing code and publishing it or taking someone else's code and publishing it. And if you have that kind of ambiguity, the effect is to squelch speech. It's to, it's to tell that developer, don't work on this area because you could be pulled in to a, re a registration requirement it's telling someone who might want to publish that code, don't do that. Go work for a centralized entity because there you'll you'll be safer and you won't have to worry about um, potentially being regulated in a way that's frankly impossible for an individual to, to to satisfy. That's so interesting. So the like your understanding that the ability to potentially write code and like an individual express himself in that way could fall under First Amendment issues? Well, I do think so. I do. Um, you know, I know that that there are different views on that. But writing code, I think is is potentially, um, it, to me, it's it's a form of speech, right? You can do a lot of things in code, you can express a lot of things in code. And so it can be used for other things, certainly. Um, but if you take that code just sitting on its own, and you put it out there, it's sort of the same as if you're publishing instructions. Right. So interesting. It is referred to as a, as a language. So yeah. I, I definitely hear that. Um, so I'm for sure not an expert in this space. Um, I'm no crypto mom myself, but. Um, <laughs> well, and I'm no First Amendment lawyer, but I, but I think it's important that we at least think about these issues before we put a rule in place. For sure, uh, absolutely. And I think that this ties really well into one of the other things I was interested in, which is this concept of decentralization versus centralization. Um, and I understand that there's a lot of assumptions that if something is 
decentralized, it should maybe be regulated less than if it's centralized. Um, and of course, kind of the beginning of crypto and crypto was founded with this whole idea of we're going to try to decentralize. Um, and so I'm curious, first, do you think that there should be such a different approach between um, centralization and decentralization? And also, maybe even more simply, but maybe not, how are we defining what is decentralized? That is a difficult question to answer, the decentralization question. Um, but let's just first take a centralized entity. So a centralized entity, for example, that trades crypto assets. You can decide we want to have a federal regulatory regime around that centralized entity much the way we do for a stock exchange. And that's a conclusion that a lot of people have come to. And so that's fine. You can build a regulatory regime that would take a lot of pieces from the regulatory regime that we have governing stock markets now, and you could put that into place. You, we saw in 2022, there can certainly be issues when you've got a centralized entity that people are using to intermediate their transactions. That centralized entity can run off with your funds. It can do all kinds of other things. And so regulation is one solution to that set of problems. Decentralization is really about allowing people to engage directly with one another without intermediation. And the beauty of crypto is that it allows two strangers to interact with one another without intermediation, but in a way that they can trust each other. They, they can trust each other through the code that enables them to trust one another. And so that's a powerful possibility in as a way of, of disintermediating markets that have traditionally always had to be intermediated because you had the trust problem. So it's peer-to-peer -peer transactions or peer-to-code transactions, I think, kind of more accurately. It's, it's a transaction that does not require a central party to be there. And that's how I would describe decentralization. But I think it's a good question because a lot of things that describe themselves as decentralized, and this is a point that um, others at the commission make frequently, a lot of things that describe themselves as being decentralized are actually reliant on um, a few people or there are a few people who have access to all the cash, you know, that or it's not cash, but to all the all the crypto that is in a treasury, for example, associated with one of these protocols. And if you have a situation like that, then you can have some of the same kinds of problems that you would have in a centralized world where you have to rely on those those three people who have the keys to the treasury not to run away with it. And so that's why sometimes people say, well, if it's just decentralized in name only, we still think we should regulate it as if it's centralized. Yeah, so I'm wondering how that might relate to the conversation around the regulation having to do with crypto exchanges and how the SEC, like I'm curious if the SEC is viewing many of the crypto exchanges to just be straight up breaking the law as they are exchanges and not registered as securities exchanges, right? Because like while, and I guess this gets into the whole conversation and question of what is a security and how Bitcoin, it seems 
you know, there's pretty much agreement that Bitcoin is not a security, but it seems like some of the commissioners believe that um, a lot of cryptos are. And so that would mean that if the, you know, crypto exchange is not registering as a securities exchange, they would seemingly be breaking the law. And I guess I'm curious for your thoughts on on what that looks like and if that's going to change, if that should change, uh, like that just seems like kind of like a funny place to be in. Well, I think this this release that we put out uh, is had some very sweeping statements around around um, first whether crypto assets are are securities. Very sweeping statements that that most or all of them are. Now that's something that, as you said, people commissioners have said that um, the commission has said that in other documents as well. But it also did take this step of saying, well, we think a lot of these venues that are trading are are uh, should be registered as exchanges now. I take a pretty different view on how we should be thinking about, no pun, how we should be thinking about this uh, Howey question of of what a what a security is, right? And and so even if a token is sold as part of a securities offering because it comes with all these promises that the development team is going to build out this great network and it's going to result in huge rates of return for for you the token purchaser we might conclude okay that token was sold as part of an investment contract that was a securities transaction governed by the securities laws but does it actually mean that the token itself is for some time or potentially forever a security and i think that part of the question we don't ever really take that head on as an agency and address that. But that's a very important question because if the token itself is not a security, then our our jump to say that all of these exchanges that are trading these tokens have to register is problematic. Um, if we're saying, well, maybe it's a security for some amount of time as long as it drags along with it these, these investment contract promises, well, then what happens when it changes from a security to a non-security and this exchange is trading now a non-security, which the release suggested wasn't permitted. So then you have a, a, a potential problem there too. And the implications of labeling everything to be a security go far beyond the exchanges. I mean, it, it makes it much more difficult to actually use these tokens for their intended utility. So I would like us to take a more um, careful look at how we're thinking about the, the, what actually is the security. But I think we don't want to do that because if we did that, it would mean that our our jurisdiction would be narrower. Yeah, I think that kind of brings us back to that original question of balance of power and jurisdiction, because it might be very enticing at some points to be like, okay, this is a way that we can regulate this specific thing, whether that's a cryptocurrency or whatever that might be. But then the questions of how that might apply beyond that narrow area, like, well, the definition of a security is a pretty big deal and applies to a lot. And, and I totally see how that could be uh, a, much bigger, a much bigger question and issue that might get to some jurisdictional issues. Um, and, and look, I appreciate the desire to regulate and to bring investor protections into an area. 
So if that were what it was that we were trying to we were trying to bring in investor protections, I would be somewhat sympathetic to that. But then what you want to do is one, you know, hope that Congress comes in and says, hey, SEC, we want you to be the regulator. But two, you would want us to exercise our authority in a way that made sense, that was practical, that was workable. And that's not what we're doing here. Instead, what we're doing and what we say quite clearly in that recent release is, yeah, we realize that this is going to not be workable for a lot of projects. We, we, we recognize that, we accept that as a consequence, and we're fine with that. And that to me is remarkable because it's not using regulation actually to protect people. It's using regulation to drive an industry either out of the country or into extinction. And that is merit regulation at its worst. Yeah, you, you had a really strong and powerful quote in your dissent, which was rather than embracing the promise of new technology as we've done in the past, here we propose to embrace stagnation, force centralization, and welcome extinction of new technology. Um, and I guess I'm curious, do you think that the way that this regulation would, you know, potentially really hinder crypto and and that whole kind of field, do you think that that's the purpose or more of a just like a reality of what's going to happen. Well, I mean, it was recognized in that document with such, you know, casual, well, this is what's going to happen. But it's not only that one document that I'm reacting to. It's the broader approach that the commission has taken, which now has been over quite a number of years and seems to be, we seem to be doubling down on this approach which is to say, we're not gonna offer any positive examples of how you can actually come in and register with us and provide the protections that we so so say we want you to provide. We haven't offered any real examples of that. And when people have come in, they've walked out the door with an enforcement action, not with a registration. So how am I to interpret that except that we have concluded that we we just don't want to have this actually be able to function. I hope that I'm wrong. And I hope that when people look at this release and look at other actions that we have taken and are taking, they come to me and tell me, Hester, you've misunderstood. We can make this work. That would be wonderful. And I hope that that's what I hear. But that's not what I've heard so far. Yeah, I could see myself like if I was, let's say, a founder or a counsel for a crypto exchange, and I said, "Okay, I, I, I want to become registered as a securities exchange." Like, what would I even do? And and I know that you've pointed out that it's kind of regu. I think the phrase was regulation by enforcement, um, as opposed to just clarifying what, like, these companies should actually just do. And I think that that's been something for me which is almost confusing as like as to why that's the case other than if the intention kind of is to just shut down this industry well and it's confusing for me too because frankly it makes our own job more difficult our job is easiest when we can tell people what the rules are and then we can see which people are complying with the rules and which ones aren't and we can then use our enforcement resources to go after those who aren't in this instance we're not telling people what the rules are we're not we're not willing to make these adjustments to make the rules workable for the people who are trying to do, you don't even have to agree 
that crypto has any value at all. But people who are just experimenting with something should be allowed to experiment in the US. But we're not even setting up a framework so that they can experiment and so that the ones who are really just trying to rip people off will be much easier for us to spot. It's just a very strange way to regulate. And I think one of the one of the real problems with this latest release is ambiguity around who's covered. Not only do I have these First Amendment concerns about that, but who's going to end up resolving that ambiguity? Well, it's likely that that's going to get resolved in an enforcement action. How is that productive for anyone? That you have to wait to find out whether you're covered by a rule based on whether or not you get sued by the SEC? That can't be the right approach. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, definitely hear you. And I want to be mindful of your time. So before we kind of close out, we've been mentioning a bunch of things that we're currently that we're seeing happening with the, the SEC and their their take on regulation, especially around crypto um, and digital assets. And it's some of it's been, you know, a little potentially worrisome, questionable, confusing. Um, and before we close, I'd maybe like to open the floor to hear from you like if you can kind of snap your fingers and see the SEC go in a specific direction what you would love to see in the upcoming months well I would love to see us doing a self-examination of how we handle innovation that's something that other agencies have done in the past for example the office of the comptroller of the currency did that a number of years ago they said you know what we think maybe we need to take a look at this I think it's something every agency should do periodically, and I think we're very much due for that kind of a self-examination. And then another thing I would say is that we need to do more work around capital formation. This is a general comment. It's not related to crypto. It's just in general, um, small businesses are so important in our economy. They um, have unique capital raising needs, and I don't think we're meeting those needs. So I would love for us to spend some of the time that we're spending on other big projects, actually thinking about that project, which is which is so important. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, especially because that's something which is just not spoken about, unfortunately, so much. I mean, that's what tends to happen to regulatory agencies, which is that we tend to focus on the larger entities that we deal with repeatedly. And what that can do is actually create a regulatory system that has barriers to entry for smaller new entrants that might have a better way of doing things, but it's just much harder for them to get over that barrier. Um, and so that's, that's a, again, something that we need to constantly be cognizant of. Absolutely. Commissioner, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone's going to learn a ton from this conversation. Thanks a lot. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. To stay updated on our podcast, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow us on Twitter at HBLR Podcast or at LinkedIn under the Harvard Business Law Review Podcast. None of this would have been possible without our amazing team. So a big thank you to Alice Chen, Christy Gibbons, and Mark Schwab. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in again soon.
until next time.